Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Jonah. The book of Jonah is an insightful book about how God cares for humanity. Its message begs the question for all Christ followers, are we caring for and loving people like Jesus does? We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. Today we're beginning a series, a two-week series from the book of Jonah, and so I'm excited about this and looking forward to what God's going to do. 25 years ago, the world learned about Oscar Schindler. They learned that when the movie Schindler's List was released. Schindler grew up surrounded by the hatred of the Nazi party. He's been described as a cynical, greedy exploiter of slave workers during World War II, a black marketeer, a gambler, a member of the Nazi party, someone eternally on the lookout for profit, an alcoholic, a playboy, and a shameless womanizer. But something in Oscar Schindler could not embrace the hatred and the racism of the Nazi party. In the middle of World War II, while millions of Jews were being exterminated in the Holocaust, he decided that he was going to work against the Nazi party to save as many Jewish people as he could, risking his own life and spending his entire personal fortune. He was able to save 1,100 Jewish people from execution. But in this scene from the movie Schindler's List, you're going to see that he never thought that it was enough. If I just... There will be generations because of what you did. I didn't do enough. You did so much. 
bought this car? Who good would have bought this car? Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This pin. Two people. This is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for at least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. Person is For this. I could have gone. One more person. And I didn't. <laughs> Later in Oscar Schindler's life, one of the people whose lives he's, he saved asked him why he did what he did. And this is what Schindler said. I was a Nazi, and I believed what the Nazis were doing was wrong. When they started killing innocent people, it didn't mean anything to me that they were Jewish. To me, they were just human beings, people. And I decided I was going to work against the Nazis, and I was going to save as many Jewish people as I could. Oscar Schindler is known now for his compassion and for the fact that he saved so many people. Now, as I said, we're going to be talking about the prophet Jonah. Unfortunately, uh, Jonah is not known for his compassion or for his desire to save people. Now, I know many people recognize Jonah as the guy who was swallowed by a large fish, but what they forget was that he was a prophet of God who hated the people that God sent him to share a message of salvation with. So this morning, we're going to Walk through the book of Jonah. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app handy, you can open it. We're also going to put the, the uh, verses on the screen. The first verse, we're going to just start at the first chapter of the first verse. Here's what we read. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But John, Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. So Jonah is a prophet of God, and God has instructed him what to do. God said, go this way, but Jonah went the other way. God said, do this, and Jonah did the opposite. We're going to put a map on the screen here, okay? Uh, Jonah left Jerusalem. Uh, in that map, you'll see that's the letter A. That's uh, Israel there, Jerusalem, and Joppa. He left Jerusalem, and he went to Joppa because Joppa was a city, a port city in Jerusalem on the Mediterranean Sea. Um, just for context, uh, in the book of 2 Kings, we discover that, uh, that Jonah was a prophet in the reign of King Jeroboam. So that puts him in the years 793 to 753 B.C. So this is, this is ancient history. So God said, Jonah, leave Israel, where letter A is, and go to Nineveh, where letter B is. Now, scholars don't know specifically what city was called the city of Nineveh, but 
You can see from this map, we've represented it as being as far away in the opposite direction as possible. Jonah did not want to take that message to the people of Nineveh. So as I said, he goes down to Joppa. It's a port city. He finds a ship that's heading to Tarshish. And he boards that ship. And as soon as he boards, they head out to sea. And they run into a violent storm sent by God. While Jonah is asleep below decks, the captain and the crew are doing whatever they can to save the ship and to save their own lives. They cry out in desperation to their false gods and nothing happens. And so they start throwing cargo over the ship to, to lighten the load to save their lives. When that doesn't work, the captain goes down below and he wakes Jonah up and tells him to pray to his God. Well, Jonah probably doesn't pray to God. He doesn't want to talk to God because God, he knows, has sent this storm because of him. So uh, when nothing happens, these pagan sailors conclude that there must be somebody on the ship who has done something that has made the gods angry and someone would have to pay. So to determine who it was, they draw straws. Jonah gets the short straw, and so they turn to Jonah and begin to pry him with questions. Who are you? What have you done? And Jonah says, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. So now they realize that he's a follower of God, and they realize that he's running away from God, and they ask him what they should do. Jonah knows that God's pursuing them, and so he says this, Throw me into the sea. And it will be calm again. I know this terrible storm is all my fault. But the sailors didn't want to do that because they didn't want Jonah's death on their hands. So they try even harder to row to shore. But the storm only gets worse. So finally, they pray to God, to the God that Jonah worships, not to their false gods. And they say this, Oh Lord, don't make us die for this man's sins. And don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him, upon him for your own good reasons. And so they throw Jonah into the sea. And the storm immediately stops. Amazed at what has just happened these pagan sailors immediately start worshiping the one true God, and they vow to serve him. Now, don't ignore what just happened. A believer disobeys God, and non-believers ask God for help, and he answers their prayers, and they become believers. Saving people is the heart of God. Now, we all know that uh, Jonah doesn't drown. We know that he's swallowed by a great fish. He's entombed in the fish for three days and three nights in the nasty confines of the fish's stomach. Finally, Jonah comes to his senses. He cries out to God for help. God answers him, and he causes the fish to vomit him up onto the beach. Sounds really gross, doesn't it? Now, a second time, God commands Jonah to go to Nineveh and to deliver a message from God to the great Assyrian city. So Jonah goes to this huge city. It's so huge, it takes three days for him to walk across it. And this is what he says to the people. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That was it. That was his message. 
And then we read this amazing thing that transpires. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast. They put on burlap to show their sorrow, to show their repentance. And when God sees this genuine repentance of these people, of these Ninevites, God changes his mind and he doesn't destroy them and their city. Well, that does it for Jonah. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, we read. He became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. He said, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. So just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. A little bit of a drama king, isn't he? Do you get what's going on here? Jonah hates the Ninevites. He wants them destroyed. And that's why when God told him to call Nineveh to repentance, he ran the other way. He didn't want them to be saved. And that's why when he finally did go to Nineveh, he just went through the motions of prophesying to them. He didn't call them to repentance. He didn't exhort them to change their ways and to be sorrowful. He basically just said this, hey, guys, you're going to die. So God replies to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? One scholar has written this, in an attempt to help Jonah correct his bad theology, God asked this question, Jonah's anger was not justifiable. Jonah's anger was not righteous indignation. So God's dealing so patiently here with Jonah indicates that, that possibly Jonah's anger showed a concern for Israel since he was going to save the Assyrians, enemies of Israel. But nevertheless, what God says and shows is that his anger was inappropriate. And that he needed to have compassion for the people like God did. So what happens next in the story of Jonah is interesting. Jonah leaves Nineveh and he builds a shelter. Remember, they're in arid desert country. He builds a shelter for relief for the sun because he's going to sit there and wait and see what God does to Nineveh for however long it takes. And this is what God does. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Do you get that last phrase? It says Jonah was very happy about the plant. Scholars say this. Literally, Jonah rejoiced over the plant with great rejoicing. This miraculous growth of this plant didn't just make him happy. It made him deliriously happy. I mean, this is the first time in the story of Jonah where the word in Hebrew for happy ever is used. It's the first and only place. He wasn't happy when he was saved from the fish. He wasn't happy when the Ninevites were saved. He's happy because there's a plant to give him some shade from the heat. What happens next reveals a great deal about Jonah's character and his understanding of God. God caused the plant to die. 
And God caused the wind to come up and the sun to beat down and scorch Jonah and make his life miserable. And so this is what Jonah says to God. Uh, it would be better for me to die than to live. But here's the conversation that ensues between Jonah and between God. God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I was dead. But the Lord said this, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it and make it grow. It sprang, out, sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I, not have more, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left? So this contrast we see between Jonah and God. Jonah's anger is self-centered about having shade for his personal comfort. God's position and happiness is that Nineveh, this wayward, sinful city, all of its inhabitants have repented. To Jonah, a plant is more important than people. But to God, there are more, the people are more important. And it's the final verse of this book where God shows us his message that God has grace and mercy for all. And he desires all people to come to repentance. Jonah was worried about a plant that was here today and gone tomorrow. But God says, I'm concerned about 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left. God desires for all people to be saved and not destroyed. God wants those of us who have been saved, who have been saved from once being spiritually lost, now to be spiritually found, spiritually saved. He wants us to know that. That he cares about people being saved for eternity. Do you know that? Christine Kane is a Christian author and international speaker. She founded the global anti-human trafficking organization, A21. In her book, Undaunted, she tells the story of how on the last day of a summer trip to Australia, they decided spontaneously to take a trip into the rainforest. So driving down a steep, muddy mountainside, her husband lost control of the Jeep he was driving, and they slid off into a deep, mud-filled bog. With the Jeep disabled and the sun going down and totally unprepared for a night in the rainforest, fear began to set in. They were afraid because nobody knew that they were going to take this spontaneous trip. They were afraid because they were totally unprepared for a night, and they were afraid because... As they continued to walk to seek help, there were no other signs of civilization. So her husband came up with a new plan. He says, I'm going to walk out to get help, and I want you to stay here. So Christine and her friends spent a miserable night and day, cold and scared and hungry and thirsty. The next day, help did arrive, and they were rescued and Christine writes how she felt God speaking to her. She says, as clearly as I have ever heard the voice of God, I heard him that day tell me this. Yes, Christine, you are saved. Remember what it is to be saved. Remember what it was to be lost. 
Remember the darkness and the difference between feeling carefree one morning and by evening sad and scared and sorry for your carelessness. Remember that I am here. Remember that I want to save every soul. And remember what it is to be unable on your own ability to get out of the dark. Remember. Her experience and the message she received from God changed Christine's life forever and the focus of her life. She remembered the words of the prophet Isaiah when God asked, Whom shall I send to save the people? And Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. And she says, That changed my life forever because I made a commitment to let God send me to whomever and to wherever he wanted me to go so that people could be saved. And she writes this about what saying to God, send me, means. Send me means reaching out to the lost. Send me means looking for the lost, even if it's only one person. Send me means seeking the lost, even if we fear them. And send me means seeking the lost no matter how they got lost. You know, God has called us to reach those who are spiritually lost. None of us at the end of our lives wants to be like Oscar Schindler and realize that there were more people that we could have helped save. None of us wants that regret. You know, we're fast approaching the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. Easter is the day we celebrate that Jesus defeated the power of death and sin and died on a cross and was raised back to life as the Savior of the world so that people who are spiritually lost can be saved and spiritually found. When you understand that God did that for you, then you should also realize that God wants you to share that message with others. You see, God wants to send you to your family members, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your peers, to whomever needs to know Jesus. So you and I can be a part of helping someone move from being spiritually lost to being spiritually saved for the rest of eternity. How do you do that? You care for people. You build a relationship with people. You, you, you love on people. You become friends with people. You be yourself. You love them. You do life with them. You invite them to the things that are important to you in your life. And at the appropriate time, you tell them what Jesus means to you. And you invite them to believe in Jesus. Today we heard three stories. One was a guy who felt he didn't do enough to save more people. Another was a prophet who hated people who weren't like him and he didn't want them to be saved. And the last was a woman who discovered what it means to be saved from a desperate situation and she made it her life's purpose to help others be saved. You know, we're not talking about being called to be an evangelist like Billy Graham. Some people are called to be evangelists, but not everybody. 
But everybody who has moved from being lost to being saved is asked by God to be a witness. Everybody. Everybody. And we can share with others what Christ has done in our lives. But it's not going to happen if we don't look for them and if we don't build relationships with them. So who has God placed in your life's path for you to share his love with? Is it a family member who's cynical about your faith? You know, being a witness to Christ in, a, in your family can be tough. Don't argue with them. Don't try to reason with them. Just love them and pray for them and be a consistent witness of somebody who loves Jesus in their lives. Maybe you know a student in your life. If you remember your teenage years, those were tough. And fitting in and feeling accepted was a priority. So take time to listen to students and accept them where they are, regardless if you agree with them or not. I'll share a statistic with you. In 2017, the suicide rate in the United States that rose the highest was the age range of 15 to 24. And I recently read this. If an adult sends a text to a student twice a month, that adult who's not a family member of that student and who's involved in their church home, two times a month, that student is 50% more likely to stay engaged with God and in the body of Christ. Do you know a student? Befriend them. Work your way into asking if you can... Text them sometimes. It'd be too creepy if you just go right off the bat and do it, okay? But pray for them and get to know them. Are there neighbors next to you, across the street from you, for whatever reason that you've never connected with, with whom you've never invited into your home? Invite them over for a cup of coffee, for a dessert. doesn't have to be a seven-course meal. Get connected to people. I believe that God has strategically placed you in that neighborhood to be a witness for him. You heard about Brian and Church Army and their street ministry to the homeless. How about next Saturday showing up at Street Church, noon, steps of City Hall at Hartford. There you go. Make it a regular thing. There's so many places where God wants us. Ultimately, we need to remember what it's like to be saved and to do whatever it takes to share the saving news of Jesus with others. Will you do that? I'm going to pray for us that we would let the Holy Spirit fill us with power to do those things. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to send your son to earth to die on a cross so that we could know you and be in a relationship with you forever. Lord, we recognize that you chose whatever means that you needed to share that message with us where we went from being spiritually lost to being spiritually found. 
And Lord, we know that your plan is to use your sons and daughters who make up the church to share that message with whomever you've placed us in relationship to. To love them, to care for them, and when your spirit moves, to share with them what you've done for us. To be there consistently so that we can help them move from being spiritually lost to spiritually found. So Lord, we ask that you would embolden each and every one of us by your spirit and you would have your will and your way in our lives so that we could be the witnesses that we're supposed to be. Have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.